Great to see you this morning. Great to see you. Thank you for coming out. You're here for the first time. Welcome. My name's Stephen. I'm one of the leaders here, and it's great to have you with us. If you've got a Bible, will you turn to Exodus chapter 1? We're going to start a series today that it's going to, we're going to take six months to walk through the wonderful book of Exodus, which is the second book in the Bible. You'll see Genesis, then you'll see Exodus there. So if we turn there, and I'm going to read it. Let's read it together. Verses 1 to 7. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers and that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise and thank you so much for your word. We praise and thank you that it is your living word. We thank you that as we open it, as we read it, you are at work. You are speaking to us, and your spirit is applying that to our hearts. And we ask, as he does that, and as we hear your word, you will stir our affections for your son, Jesus. Please do that this morning. Father, last week we had a wonderful, wonderful day. And Father, today is as wonderful as that. We gather as your people. We praise your name. And we hear from you. Speak to us, we ask. For your glory's sake. Amen. Last summer, we had the privilege, the whole family, going with Sean's side of the family down to London. And we had a whole week in London. It was amazing. We had a wonderful time. We did all the touristy things. We did the Tower of London. We did Hyde Park. We did um, Tower Bridge. We went over Tower Bridge. They've got like a glass floor in Tower Bridge. It was hilarious seeing Barbara. I was desperate to try and get Barbara on the glass floor, but she wouldn't do it. We did the standard thing with kids. We went to Hamleys and got to play with all the toys without paying for them. It was amazing. Really, really good time. But the thing that topped it off for me and for Sean, and I think for Barbara as well, is that the three of us, and whether the kids wanted to or not, wanted to go to the West End. And the show we wanted to see was a brand new show called The Prince of Egypt. The Prince of Egypt. And it was amazing. Our kids had never been to a musical before. Elijah, he's, he's 11 now, sitting next to me. And the first song came on, Deliver Us. And he was like, wow. That is amazing. Straight away with the music and everything, they just captured his imagination. Now, for those that don't know, the West End show, The Prince of Egypt, is taken from the animation in 1998 that was done by DreamWorks. It was the first animation that they did, and it was a star-filled cast. Here are some of the people who were in that. You had Sandra Bullock, Jeff Goldblum, Ralph Fiennes, Patrick Stewart, Val Kilmer, and even Helen Mirren stars of the cast. It won an Oscar for the song, There May Be Miracles. And it's the adaptation of the story of the Exodus that we find in the very book that we have in front of us. And for the record, that animation is probably my favorite animation. 
It's amazing. Every time it's on, I feel like I have to watch it. I start watching it, I sing along, and I've got to finish it. But one of the things that I found for myself, along with the Prince of Egypt and along with the 1956 Charlton Heston classic, The Ten Commandments, I found, even though being born in a Christian home, being taught through a gospel-centered church, that I've taken my cues and my understanding of the book of Exodus from DreamWorks or from Charlton Heston's The Ten Commandments. Do you understand what I'm saying there, some of you? Yeah. Now, if we take our cues from those wonderful, wonderful gifts to help us understand, if we take our cues and think that they are the authority of what God is doing and what God has done in and through the book of Exodus, we miss so much. And I guess the modern day person who has their understanding from these retellings of the story through the film and through the theater will end up thinking this, that the story of Exodus finishes when God's people cross the Red Sea. They will think that Moses is the hero of the story. They will think that if you truly believe miracles will happen and that God is only a bit part player in the story. So in light of that, and so we have a good foundation for the next six months, as we step into this series, there are three things that I want us to know as we do this. And number one is this. I want us to be aware of the importance of the book of Exodus. All scripture, folks, is breathed out by God, isn't it? It's all breathed out by him. Every bit of scripture that we read is profitable for us today. However, there are certain books in the Bible that when understood, they help us understand the rest of scripture. And we'll see that Exodus is one of the bo those books. The theme of Exodus is about God revealing his glory through the saving and freeing of a people whom he will dwell amongst and through whom he will further display his glory to the world. And it's through understanding the narrative of the redemptive story that happens in the book of Exodus, we understand God's bigger redemptive story through Jesus. In his book, The Echoes of Exodus, pastor by the name of Andrew Wilson says, the Exodus is central to the scriptures, central to the gospel, and central to the Christian life. Whatever book of the Bible you are reading and whichever Christian practice you are involved in, echoes of the Exodus story are in there somewhere. So for some of you who've become Christians recently, you're gonna be reading things to go, ah, oh, that's why this makes sense. Oh, that's why baptism makes sense. That's why, oh, I'm bringing all the pieces together to see that in any book that we read in the Bible, whatever Christian practice we're involved in, there are echoes of Exodus somewhere. Folks, this is so important for us because one of the cultural issues that we are facing in our time is rootlessness. People don't know their roots. They don't know what, where their foundation is. And because of it, we are seeing people lose their bearings all around us and sadly, even in the church. Andrew Wilson says this, he says that novelty and self-expression are prized above wisdom and experience. That's so true. 
But if novelty and self-expression are your foundation, your foundation is flimsy at best. And it shows like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? are so popular because it brings a sense of foundation for people, doesn't it? When they look back, if you've not seen that show, celebrities go back in their family tree, and as they go back, they find out where they came from and who their ancestors were, and it gives them a sense of foundation, clarity, reason, understanding. And as the celebrities walk through their family history, they begin to read it, not just as the story of their ancestors, but they start to embrace it as their story. Stories that help them understand who they are and to some extent help them to live now. Folks, right through the Bible, God's people are reminded time and time again of the redemption story of Exodus. They are reminded of who they are, who God is, what God has done for them. But it not only gives a paradigm for salvation, it gives a, a paradigm for salvation that they were longing for when they were in exile. They think about how God had saved them before. But it also gives a paradigm for the salvation that comes through Jesus because he is the Passover lamb that we will read about in weeks to come. He is the one whose blood had to be shed so people like you and me could be saved. And it's also a paradigm to help us understand what it means to be God's people today. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, this is what he said, we bring it up. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the same sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters of some of, of, like some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up and to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. Paul's writing to a church made up of Jews and Gentiles thousands of years after the events of the Exodus and said, these things happened. And these things were written down as an example for us and for our instruction. This gives us stability, folks. It gives us stability as we read through scriptures, as we see the book of Exodus fulfilling in part the promises in Genesis and setting out the paradigm for salvation and life for God's people. Jimmy, do you wanna put that up? See, it sits right in the middle. And as we read through Exodus, we'll see that the promises of God made in Genesis are beginning to be understood, and they point forward to an understanding of salvation for life 
and what it means to be God's people. Folks, when we go through the Exodus, we are not just going through a book because we've decided that's a good thing. We're not just going through a book because it is a fantastic story. We're going to go through this book because it gives us a deeper understanding of who we are and what it means to be God's people. Amen? Amen. It's number one. The book of Exodus Exodus is so important. Number two, I want us to know that the story doesn't end at chapter 15. It doesn't end there. Often when we read through our Bibles, we get to chapter 15, and then we might roll for a few more chapters, maybe get to chapter 20, then we like the Ten Commandments, then we don't like what the Ten Commandments mean, and then we get into instructions on how to build a tabernacle, and that excites us, doesn't it? It should do. It should do. It should excite us, because the story doesn't end at chapter 15. And if we take our cues from the movies, then our knowledge and our understanding is not what it should be, and we miss out on so much. So what we're going to do is we are going to split 40 chapters into three parts. Between now and Easter, we're going to be looking at chapters 1 to 15, which is basically Israel in Egypt and coming out of Egypt. It's the rescue story, the salvation story. It is God leading his people out of slavery. We're going to see people in bondage. We're going to see the conflict and the battle with Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods. We're going to see plagues. We're going to see the Passover. We're going to see the crossing of the Red Sea and the wonder of the miracles that God does in and through Moses. That's the first 15 chapters. I even described it with excitement, didn't I? It's going to be amazing. And then after Easter, we're going to take some some time going through chapters 15 to 24 which is Israel at Sinai. See, this is where God's people have been led to something. They're led to something. What we're going to see here is that God commissions his people, and he begins to form his people. And even though during this moment of time, God's people have saved them in miraculous ways, they forget and they start to grumble, and they start to moan. And even when they grumble, and even when they moan, God still graciously provides for them what they need now and what they need for life in and through His law. This is about leading God's people to something. And then when we've done that, we're going to see Israel and the presence of God, chapters 25 through to 40. This is about the communion with God. It's about God's presence in the midst of his people. And it's about God's people being led with God in the midst of them. In the midst of them. Now, one way we want to help everybody understand this, take our time in this, is that we're going to provide you for each of those sections a little booklet like this. Do you like this? It's very nice, isn't it? Very nice, nice booklet. And basically, all that we've got in here are some blank pages that if you're a note taker and you want to take notes in church, you can bring this along and take some notes regarding the sermon. But in each and every, uh, uh, after each and every week, we've got questions. And these are the gospel community questions that have already been laid out for you that you're able to straight away after the sermon to walk through personally, to think through. So then when you do gather with your gospel communities, and I appreciate from March and April, you may not gather as often to do a Bible study, but can I encourage you, still gather. Have lunch together on Sundays. Take these with you. Let these things that comes from what you hear on a Sunday shape the conversations you have over the dinner table. And talk about these things, and you've got an opportunity to write the notes. Now, very quickly, admin thing. 
you get one each, okay? And don't be blagging us, saying I wasn't here last week. We know who's here, all right? We have ways and means, all right? But if you do lose it, there'll be a PDF that you can get it. But take one, take one each, please use it, engage with it. We're not going to be going through every passage in Exodus. If we were going to do that, we would be here for a lot longer than six months. So we're going to be taking broad sweeps. But because you've got this, you know what we're going to be covering. So I want to encourage you that week, read it through before you even get here. You know, treat it like something that you've prepared for rather than a surprise. And come and engage in it. And hopefully, hopefully God will teach you so much more about himself and who we are in, in light of that. It doesn't stop at chapter 15, folks. And if we think that, we're going to miss so much. So when you leave today, everybody will get one of these. Is that good? You know what I mean? Brilliant. Superb. Next point, final one. Number three. Don't get too excited, folks. I've got a lot to say in this one. I want us to know that God is not a bit part player. He's the hero of the story. He's not a bit part player in this. Even though the brilliant animation... And the theater show basically say that. Yes, Moses is important. And he has a key role as the covenant mediator through whom God the Father reveals his purposes to his people. And sustains the covenant relationship. But it's God who is the hero of the story. It's God who is over the story. It's God that is bringing salvation in the midst of the story. It's all about him. See, firstly, it's all about his promises. His promises. See, the first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch. The Jewish name for it is the Torah, which, is, which means the law of God that has been revealed to Moses. We've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in those five books, you have five major themes. The first one is the theme of God's promise. The next theme is the Exodus. The next theme is God's self-revelation in covenant and law. The next one is the wandering in the wilderness. And the last one is the entering into Canaan, the entering into the promised land. Now, three of these major themes in the five, first five books of the Bible are all found in the book of Exodus. The Exodus itself, God's revelation, and the wandering in the wilderness. Now, folks, whilst these themes happen in the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus also acts as a pivot point in the Pentateuch. It's a pivot point. As it looks back, having been informed by the promises of God that we see in Genesis, as we walk through the book of Exodus and those three main themes that we find there, it points and looks forward to the entering of the promised land. And right at the beginning of this book, right at the beginning in the verses that we've read, we see reference to the promises of God. Have a look at that, verse 7. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Folks, in the beginning, God created humanity. And the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve were made in the image of God to display his glory to the world. They were to multiply, they were to build culture, they were to su subdue the world, and they were to rule over it whilst in a perfect relationship with God. God right in the midst, God walking in the garden 
on in creation with them. But the Bible tells us that the serpent, who was Satan, was the most crafty of animals in all creation. And it tells us that the serpent deceived Adam and Eve, that they believed his lies and disobeyed God by eating from the forbidden tree in the garden. And as a result, sin entered the world and distorted everything. It distorted humanity's relationship with each other. It distorted humanity's relationship with creation. And more importantly, it distorted humanity's relationship with God. And because of their sin, they could no longer be in the presence of God, a perfect and holy God. So they were sent out of his presence, away from his glory, and sin took root in their lives, and humanity walked further and further and further away from God. But God, because he is a gracious and merciful and patient and pursuing God, and despite humanity's rejection of him, God made a promise. He made a promise straight away to them, but he makes a promise years later to a man by the name of Abraham. An old man who was married to an old wife and they didn't have children. And we read in Genesis chapter 12 that God says to Abraham, in and through you, I will give you a big family that will become a nation and I will make you a great name and all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And if anybody curses you, I will curse them. And if anyone blesses you, I will bless them. And it was one evening that God takes Abraham outside of his tent and he says to Abraham, look up to the stars. Go on, Abraham, try and count them. Abraham's like, I I can't count them. And so will your offspring be, God says. Now it's interesting, go back and read the story. It's interesting because he's not had a kid at this point. (laughs) And he's an old man. And his wife is old, and she's not had any children either together. But God graciously is true to his promise because Abraham believes, and he gives Abraham a son by the name of Isaac. Isaac then has children. He has um, a boy called Esau and a boy called Jacob. And then Jacob had, as we read in the first three verses of chapter 1, he had 12 sons. He had Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, verse 5, Joseph also. See, the promise of God was given and lived out on the backdrop of a very dysfunctional family who had all sorts of issues. See, it was the favoritism of a father, the arrogance of a young son, and the jealousy and murderous hatred of brothers that God was going to use to bring about his promises. See, Joseph, Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. And Joseph, being an arrogant little beaut, often would tell his brothers that. And God used to give him dreams And the dreams were were interpreted in such a way, and rightly so, that all his family one day would bow down to Joseph. And Joseph took great delight in sharing that with his brothers. And of course, his older brothers loved that. But the jealousy and the hatred grew amongst the brothers. They end up kidnapping him, selling him into slavery, and then telling their father that he'd been killed. 
See, Joseph found, finds himself in Egypt, sold into slavery, but being bright, being smart, being a hard worker, he progresses, even in the midst of his slavery, to become a chief slave in his master's house. But then again, Joseph is mistreated. See, his master's wife, she tries to seduce him, and Joseph, rightly so, says no and runs away. But his master's wife then turns it all around and makes out that it was Joseph that tried to take advantage of him. So Joseph is cast into prison for something that he hadn't done. Whilst in prison, he meets two men. Two men that worked Pharaoh. One was Pharaoh's butler, one was Pharaoh's baker. And in prison, these two men had dreams. And God had given Joseph the gift to interpret people's dreams. And he interprets the dreams both of the baker and the butler. And he interprets the dreams of the butler to say, you're going to be set free. But he interprets the dream of the baker to say, no, one day you're going to die. And he was right. The butler was set free and the baker was executed. But Joseph was forgotten about. Years later, the Pharaoh had a series of dreams that none of his wise counsel could interpret for him. And it was at this point that the Pharaoh's butler remembered Joseph. They bring Joseph out of prison. They bring him to the Pharaoh. And they say, the Pharaoh says to him, can you interpret these dreams? And Joseph is able to interpret the dreams. And he interprets it in such a way to, and says that Egypt was going to go through a season of plenty. Seven years of producing so much famine. But after that years of plenty, there's going to be seven years of great pain and famine in Egypt. And plans should be put in place so that we can survive it. Pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph. He gave him the position of second in command in Egypt. He was only 30 years of age and gave him the task of preparing Egypt for the seven years of famine. Joseph does a great job. He prepares, he gets everybody ready, collects so much in, in, in the seven years of, of plenty and is ready for the seven years of planning. Enough food for all of Egypt and all the surrounding areas that would be affected by the famine. And when the famine came, it affected Egypt, and it also affected Jacob and his family. Jacob decided, not knowing what was going on in Egypt, still thinking that his son was dead, he says, go to his boys, go and see if you can buy food in Egypt. And to cut a long story short, Joseph's brothers met Joseph. And Joseph recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. But the dreams that he had when he was a kid were coming true right in front of him. His family were bowing down to him. Now Joseph had the power to get revenge, and he wrestled through the pain, but eventually he revealed who he was to them and was reunited with his father. And Jacob and the 70 ancestors that he had all moved to Egypt with Joseph and settled in the land of Goshen. And verse 7, they were fruitful, increased greatly, and multiplied and became exceedingly strong in the land. Folks, right at the beginning of Exodus, it shows us a God who keeps his promises. 
Promises to an old man who had no kids, but a greater promise to humanity who had been cast from the glory and the presence of God, that deserved the punishments of God, but God in his graciousness makes a promise to an old man that a people would come from you, a people who would display his glory and bring that glory to the world. Folks, the beginning of Exodus shows us clearly that we have a God who keeps his promises who brings them about to the means of dysfunction and brokenness which won't thwart his purposes or his people or his glory going forth in any generation till his son returns. Amen? We'll see that it's about the promises of God. We'll also see it's about the holiness of God. See, my favorite part of the, the animation film, The Prince of Egypt, is a part where Passover has happened, the angel of death has come, Pharaoh said, just get out, I've had enough, just go. And then the people are starting to pack up their things, and it's going from coming into dawn, and you hear these little kids singing this song in Hebrew, okay? Bear with me, and this is what they sing. Ashira la Adonai ki Ashira Adonai Kikahokaha Mikamoka Bayeli Madonai Mikomoka Telmapa Bakodesh Nahiva Hashpaham Amzugalata Afiva Hashpaham Amzugalata Ashira 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 There may be miracles, that's what happens. And that song put together in a film made by non-Christians. It's taken right from Genesis 15. And it says this, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? In your love, you lead the people you redeem. In your love, you lead the people you redeem. You have triumphed gloriously. We have a God that is above all of the gods. And we're going to see that God is holy. He is all sufficient. That he is greater than any other gods. That he is set apart and unapproachable. Yet in his graciousness and mercy reveals himself. Forms a people and dwells among them. We are going to see that this is about the holiness of God. And we do not deserve to come into his presence. But he greatly makes a way so we can. Amen. And we, as his people, need to sing like the people in Genesis 15 as they come through the Red Sea. We need to join with the kids who many of them didn't have a clue what they were singing about when they were singing in the film. That we will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed. Glorious over all things. There is nobody like him among the gods. And in love, you lead us, the people that you redeem. Amen. Folks, this book is about God triumphing over and the spoils of that is that he redeems people like you and me. He is a holy God. And we are invited in to that holiness. It's about the promises of God. It's about the holiness of God. And it's about the freedom with God. See, the Exodus story, folks, is not just about freedom from something. It's a story of freedom from something to something. See, we're going to see the exchanges in the first 15 chapters. 
We're going to see the exchange between Moses and Pharaoh. And God is, in and through Pharaoh, going to be saying, let my people go. Let my people go. But often what we miss is that we, when Pharaoh uh, hears those words, let my people go, he also hears other words like this, chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Folks, freedom is not enough. We need freedom to something or for something. We live in a culture that has a distorted understanding of freedom. People think that freedom is all, all barriers off, all blockers off, no rules, no instruction, no commands, nothing, so we can be free. People think that's what freedom is. No, folks, if our world was like that, we would be in anarchy. The famous illustration by Tim Keller of a fish in a tank in the living room and the fish decides, the fish decides that he no longer wants to live in the tank so jumps out of the tank because he sees the big world of the living room and decides that he wants to live in there and he thinks that's true freedom and very quickly he finds out that it is not freedom for him but rather death. Why? Because the fish has been created to live and flourish in water. And we as human beings have been created to live and flourish in the midst of the presence of God and being his people under his instruction, under his rule, under his command. And what we will see is God's people, even though they misunderstand, they think they're going back into a slavery. No, they're coming from the slavery of Egypt into the freedom of being God's people. And we, through Christ, have come from the slavery of sin into the freedom of being God's people with all our sin forgiven and being declared as his people. We will see that God will save them. We will see that God will be amongst them. We will see that God will give them his law to show them who he is and to show them what it looks like to flourish as his people and as humans and they will find freedom in his loving presence. Cornerstone, as we make our way through this wonderful book, I want us to know that God is not a bit part player. He is the hero of the story. It is him who saves. It is him who redeems his people, whilst also giving us a glimpse to what he is going to do for humanity and through his son, which echoes all through the Bible. Now, one way of seeing that God is the hero of the story is seeing what it tells us about Jesus. As you read through this, in many ways, what you'll see is that the Exodus sets a path for the life of Jesus. And we'll see that in the weeks to come. And through this story, we will see a foreshadowing of the means by which we have been saved through Jesus. We're going to see that Jesus is our deliverer, not Moses. We're going to see that he is our mediator. We're going to see that Jesus is our Passover lamb, that he died in our place. 
We're going to see that he is our manna from heaven who feeds us. We're going to see that he is the water of life that quenches our thirst. We are going to see that he is the fulfillment of the law. We are going to see not only with us, but he is also giving us the hope of glory because he's not just with us, he is in us. And because of Jesus, we have been freed from an even deeper slavery into an even deeper redemption and freedom, all because of Jesus. Amen? See, folks, you want to understand more about Jesus? We need to get into Exodus. You want to understand more about what he has done for you? We need to get into Exodus. You understand more of what it means to know the church and love the church and be part of the church? We need to get more into what it is that the Bible tells us in the book of Exodus. And ultimately, it will show us that God is the hero, and through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we are his people. See, it's all about him. It's all about what he has done. And all the way through, I hope, sparks of excitement and love and affection for Jesus Christ will be all over your mind and all over your heart as we look into this wonderful book, the book of Exodus. And one of the greatest things that we'll see in the book of Exodus is that Jesus Christ dies in our place. I don't want to give you any spoilers, but God's people were told to take a spotless lamb and kill the spotless lamb and put the blood over their doorposts and the angel of death, one of the plagues would come and when it saw the blood, it would pass over them. It would pass over them. They would not die. Death would pass over them. And for those of us who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have faith that he died in our place, that his blood was shed for us, that we are covered and death passes over us and we are given life. And for years after the exodus, God's people every year of Passover would remember the wonder of the redemptive story of the Exodus. And it was on that night, the night of Passover, before Jesus was betrayed, as they were remembering what the Exodus was, he takes bread and he takes wine. He breaks it and he says, this is my body that is given for you. He takes the blood and says, this is the new covenant, the new law that is given for you. Eat and drink in remembrance of me and do it till I return. See, the Lord Jesus says to his church, the people, yes, remember the Exodus, but don't just stop there with remembering being saved from Egypt. Take it to the step further and remember what I am gonna do for you and what I have done for you and remember that I have saved you to be part of my people. Folks, we're going to eat, and we're going to drink, and the bread's going to be passed, and the wine's going to be passed, and we're going to eat, and we're going to drink, remembering that Jesus is our Passover lamb, and that we are saved, and that in and through him, we have experienced an exodus that has taken us from a far greater slavery into a far greater freedom. And as we do that, I pray that our affections for Jesus are stirred, our affections for one another are stirred for his glory. And after the bread has gone and after we've shared the wine one with another, 
were then going to give us all an opportunity for us to give. If you're new to Cornerstone Church, this is something that we used to do before COVID. We would pass a bag to give opportunity to worship God in and through what they have, giving. And that will pass because we recognize that the Lord Jesus has done so much for us. It is only right that we as his people are to give to him. One, as a reflection of our worship of him, but two, because he calls us to. So that the ministry of God's word can reach more people and more people can be saved. So we're going to eat, we're going to drink, and then the, the boxes will be shared. And we'll sing and we'll celebrate and get excited for the next installment of the book of Exodus. Amen. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness and grace to us. And we thank you that we see and we find and we experience that in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you faithfully went to the cross and you died and that your body was broken for us. We thank you that in your death we have life. We thank you also that you took the cup on the night that you were betrayed and you said this is the new covenant that is found in my blood. This is the new law. All that you've understood about the Exodus, all that you've understood about the law that was given, it is all fulfilled in me. And my blood washes the foulest of cleans, clean. Remember this till I come. So we thank you for this bread and we thank you for this wine and we thank you for this remembrance. And Father God, we thank you for your provision. We're going to read how you provide for an ungrateful, grumbling people. And I thank you that you do that for us. We pray, Lord, that we would respond rightly with our hearts, with what we give, for your glory's sake. And all God's people said, amen. We're going to pass the bread, eat it, then the wine will come. The juice actually, the juice will come. Please take it and eat it. Why don't you pray with somebody next year or pray on your own? Thank God, reflect on what has been heard, reflect on the wonder of the gospel. And then after that, the bags will come and Michael will call us to stand and we will all sing together. Amen? Amen. Let's eat and drink and be thankful.